0: Amen. First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. This will be our uh, third session. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6. As we do in our Bible classes, we don't spend an inordinate amount of time, any, actually any more time than absolutely necessary, reviewing so that we can get more in with each time period. So I trust that if <laughs> there's anything that's not uh, up to date in... Uh, your own personal understanding of the passage, you get back to the first two classes. Now, 1 Peter is a powerful epistle, powerful book of your Bible. It equips us and strengthens us. We talked about some chapter headings and these just happen to be our own and it doesn't make sense to you, then that's fine. It helps me sometimes to picture how God had them right they did not write them with chapters and verses. God gave that to us as a gift. It's kind of like uh, being able to have addresses and streets and stuff when you're trying to find some a place, a house, for example. And that address makes it a lot better than just trying to find the fifth house on the third street, you know, the fifth house on the right on the third street. Uh, I admire how much reading and studying the old testament levites prophets etc had to do in order to be able to teach the book it was in a scroll it was just continuous i think it's it's kind of crazy sometimes how human nature is and human nature often wants acts like it wants to go back to the the way and you know they even printed some copies of your bible of your english bible with no verses in them no verse markings and all that and we want to be more like if you wanted to be more like then you're going backwards because god providentially gave us what we have okay and you know that god providentially helped put it there because it helps us find stuff locate stuff uh, relate to things so it's a blessing so we're going to start in verse six But the context is he has set it up talking about our inheritance which we spoke of at length last time and that it is in verse 4 incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and a salvation ready revealed in the last time. Keep in mind the word salvation is not just the experience of being secured for heaven. Salvation is not just making sure you get there. There's so much more to it than that. And perhaps one of the great mistakes people make is they try to dumb down the Bible thinking that will help people learn it, but it doesn't. Now, you're not trying to upsmart, upgrade the Bible and tell somebody they've got to learn uh, an ancient language to understand their Bible. That's, That's just not the way it is. You look at history, and God has always put the Bible in the hands of the people. He's put the Word of God, the Scriptures, in their common tongue. And so, for the Hebrews, of course, they had one tongue. And then when uh, Jesus Christ came, the language of the world, the trade language, was Greek. Even though Rome, which is based on Latin, their language, was in power, Alexander the Great had set up the whole thing by going around and establishing that Greek is a trade language. You go to a place like uh, Papua New Guinea, you'll find that uh, the common language they have to share is Pidgin English that they try to teach to as many of the children as they can so that they can come up with it. Now, they learn more regular English also, but the Pidgin English is a, is a platform for those people who have multitudes of their own little languages and little villages all over the place. You could be on one mountain and see another mountain off in the distance, and those two peoples, those two tribes, you might say, those peoples, those families, like the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? That's not some politically incorrect word. It's the way it is. Those two groups of people might not even be able to communicate if someone hasn't helped teach them a common language. So when we have this and we're going through here, remember that when he talk, many times when he's talking about salvation, Uh, He's many times talking about a full reward, for example. So in verse 6, he says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Okay, so what do we greatly rejoice in? Okay, because he's going to say, Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. But he said, Wherein ye greatly rejoice. What? That we're saved. But we're not just saved that he's begotten us in verse 3 into a livelihood. We have a living salvation. We don't have a tedious dead religion. And many of you believers, maybe some within the sound of my voice, you have allowed your Christian life to become tedious, the Christian life part of it. And, and I think some people have gotten where they compare their everyday secular life to their Christian life, and they think being a Christian is dull. There's nothing dull about being a Christian, an active pursuing Christian. There's nothing on earth dull about it. I can promise you that. And so when we think about this, wherein ye greatly rejoice, not just rejoice, but greatly rejoice. That's, that's a lot of expression. You may not be as outward as other people, but, but I've noticed that people that excuse themselves for being super quiet and reserved in church, they're not that way when you get them talking about whatever their passion is, so-called passion, whether it be fishing or hunting or mechanic work or sports. Lord help, sports. And I understand. I mean, I, I like to see that competition. I like to see when you've got one mind pitted against another and they're trying to anticipate. That stuff is interesting. It really is. But if there's stuff that just absolutely gets you all going and your Christianity doesn't, there's probably a problem there. Now, I understand there's many a pastor, for example, that's trying his best to breathe life into a congregation, and it, you're trying to do CPR on somebody that's that's three days. There's Lazarus. They're four days dead. I get that. So the person in the pew should help, but the best we can do is just keep encouraging believers to greatly rejoice he said, Wherein ye great in what? All right, in Jesus Christ and the lively hope, in the inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth away, reserved in fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, and we're kept by the power of God. I know, I know, we read our Bible. I get that. I do. I know we pray. I mean every morning... you cannot don't see, it's not a drudgery. It's what you do. I mean, there's people that get up, I can go out in the morning, and be going down the road, and there's people with, uh, you know, reflectors on their shirt, or their arms, or the hat, or light, and they're walking, and walking, and walking, why? For their health. Well, if you can get up in the morning and walk, even when it's dark, uh, it won't be long, uh, what, two weeks or so from Sunday, daylight savings comes in here, again, here in the U.S., everybody lose an hour, you know, spring ahead, fall back. I'm so structured that I've been trying to get get going at least a quarter of an hour earlier the last two months, each day. That way, when that hour gets dropped, I won't even notice it. And then I'll be back to that normal schedule, you know, 4, o'clock in the morning, whatever. What's the point? The point is, the focus is, we should greatly rejoice and we will more greatly rejoice if we stay in the book, if we stay in walking in the spirit, if we stay in doing our intercession for others, kneeling in the gap. So we should greatly rejoice. And then he says, comma, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. I think perhaps one of the uh, greatest errors that Christians make is they don't prepare and they don't accept seasons. Now in certain parts of the world, in certain parts even of say the U.S. or wherever you live, there are certain places that have less of a seasonal change than others. You go farther north in the U.S. of A. and you can have some big seasonal change. You can have, I mean, the coldest, harshest weather in the winter, and you can have some incredibly hot, uncomfortable weather in the summer. And then, as you move south, for example, here in, in the southern hemisphere, the further north you go, it's hotter, and the further south you go, it's cooler. And the seasons are different. But he said, if need be, if now for a season. So there are seasons. And in your Bible, you'll find the, the Lord talks about seasons, and the Lord made the seasons. And so the reason it's so important <clears throat> is that we should accept these seasons. I hear people all the time fighting the seasons. When it's hot, they complain. When it's cooler, colder, they complain. Why? Why fight against it? The Norwegian, Norwegians say, and it gets pretty rough weather there in Norway. Norwegians had, had an old saying that said there is no such thing as bad weather, just poor clothing. <laughs> in other words, get prepared. In your Bible there's sin for a season that Moses turned down in Hebrews eleven twenty five. Here in first Peter one there's the season of suffering. In Second Corinthians fifteen three there was a season of silence. There's a season of speaking. There's a season of the showers of blessing, Ezekiel 34. There's a season of sickness in John chapter 5. There's a season of sorrow in Second Corinthians 7. There's even the season of Satan where he gets to do what he can do. He's released for a season in Revelation chapter 20. And of course, there's the season of the second coming of Christ, First Thessalonians 5, 21. And there's a season of sentencing in Matthew 24. I'm just throwing those out there. There are seasons. So he said, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. So, it's okay to ask if you could miss that season. That's okay. But you can't demand it, and you shouldn't fight it. Now, I'm blessed. I know that. I'm blessed mentally because... I think you ought to just embrace whatever's happening. If it's hot, make sure you got a, a shaded hat. Put on some sunscreen. Drink your fluids and work. Enjoy sweating. If it's cold, enjoy wearing a hoodie. Enjoy it. Bundle up. Get. I mean, uh, I can remember, you know, this is a few years ago now. About to be 68, so this is a long time ago when I was... 10, 12, 14 years old, wintertime, central Ohio. Load up all that stuff. You muck out of the stalls, the the, the straw and the manure, and you're going to go out and spread it on the field. It's winter time. old Massey Ferguson, and it had the, the exhaust pipe broken off had rusted off. And when you were heading into the wind, that nice hot air coming off that motor was so nice. And when you turned to head back, You know, we would do it in rows and that thing was at your back and it's blowing whatever heat there was coming out of that tractor away from you and it's blowing up the back of your neck and it's blowing up the back of your coat. You couldn't get enough clothes on. (laughs) And no matter what you're wearing, especially in those days, now we've got some wonderfully advanced footwear and handwear and headwear, but you just bundled up the best you could. But there was just something about when you got done with it coming back in and sort of hobbling because your feet are frozen, you can hardly feel your toes, and you get in there and get by that little tiny electric heater in the little feed room, get warmed up and go back out and clean some more stalls, go back out and drive. There was just something about it, something about the hardship that was a challenge. And that's how we need to be. And so he says, wherein you greatly rejoice. Don't lose your rejoicing. Keep your rejoicing. And then he says, Though now for a season, if need be, and you might, you know, it might might be a need. The need might not be for you. When you go through things or I go through things, it's not always for my sake. In fact, I wouldn't doubt by the time I get to heaven, I find out when I get there that a lot of times it was for others. Now, it was for my sake in the sense it was an opportunity to endure properly. And he says, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, heaviness is a good thing when it's done right. Not the heaviness of this world, okay? Turn to the left there a little bit to Romans, a few pages, a couple of books. Romans chapter 9. Romans 9. Heaviness is okay. Heaviness is often what helps us pray. I, I would say this, that without heaviness especially since we can greatly rejoice in what we have, we would be more frivolous Christians. And we would not be the witness we can be or should be. And we would not be able to help others the way we ought to. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So Paul is like some people say, now I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. This is, the honest. and you go well. What was all the other stuff you've been telling me the last few weeks? Now I know what they mean, and you know what they mean. <clears throat> but it's you know it, a little bit of sarcasm, but that is what Paul's saying. He's saying, "Look, I say the truth in Christ; I lie not." And he said, verse two, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow where in my heart. He said. He goes on to say in verse 3, For I could wish myself that myself were accursed from Christ for my kinsmen, sorry, my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, etc., etc. So his burden, he had heaviness. (coughs) Excuse me. His heaviness was a burden, it's called in your Bible. He said in Galatians 6, to bear you one another's burden. Further down, he says, bear your own burden. So you're not to be putting burdens on others, but we are to bear others' burdens. And many times that's a prayer thing. Many times, as we're back here in 1 Peter 1, it's through manifold temptations that, verse 7, try your faith. So the great issue for God is, will you trust me? Will you trust me in the heaviness? Will you trust me in the temptation? Now, that just makes sense to me. Now, realize we've got our Bible, and you've got a new nature, and we are our new nature, so it ought to make sense, but it just makes sense in general. Because it is a fact of life that those are the proving grounds, that trials, troubles, heaviness are the proving grounds. Difficulty is the proving ground. So, he connects the heaviness, the manifold temptations with the trial of your faith. But here's the thing. Here's, here's this operative thing. Being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. So it's heaviness and it's for seasons. And the Christian life is a paradox of greatly rejoicing and heaviness. But it is. It, that's just the way it is. You know, ready? Second Corinthians 6. Why don't you go over there? Second Corinthians 6. The Christian life is a paradox. You say, what do you mean? Well, watch. It, it's a contrast between two things that would seem to be completely opposing to one another. And in some respects, they are opposing to one another. But in many respects, they're not. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. <clears throat> Let's pick it up in verse, yeah, verse 10. That's fine. He's given a list of stuff. And... He's contrasting uh, things like, in verse 5, in stripes and imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. And then he says, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering. He gets down to verse 10, he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. The Christian life is this combination of contrast within the same person all the time. I don't know about you, but when something really goes wrong when you're working on it or you're in a confined space and you smack your head on something, it's okay to say praise the Lord and to laugh and go, man, that hurt. But it's okay to be thankful. Be thankful it didn't knock you out and take your whole head off or whatever. But it's okay. We're supposed to have this, this paradoxical, this contrasting life sorrowful yet rejoicing poor yet making many rich and that is the case of the of the child of god look at galatians chapter 6 we might as well touch on this real quick cuz it's really a help to people galatians chapter 6 it's a help to me i know that galatians chapter 6 i heard a fellow preach heard him by recording preach on this after his son was unexpectedly killed and he started off, and he started with uh, chapter 6, verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And he said for one, of the, for one of the main times in his life, he realized that it was okay for others to help him bear his burden. But he gradually worked through a point of his sorrow and the pain and the focus. He, he eventually got down to verse 5. It says, for every man shall bear his own burden." So we're to bear one another's burdens, yet bear our own burden. But if I'm bearing my own burden, how can I let you bear my burden? Because there's times when I need to let you help me bear my burden. But then there's times when I stop letting you help me bear my burden, and I bear yours with you and bear mine. And God will tell you when those are seasons, seasons, seasons. And so the picture he's given us is purchasing something much more precious than gold. That perish. So the gold of this world will perish. When he burns the world up, he'll burn the gold up. <laughs> you know, they always talk about, do you have a, a go bag, a something that if, if you wake up and it says fire in your mind and you just smell the smoke and there's the heat and you grab it, what is the one thing you're going to grab to go out with, right? And they've got, you know, fireproof safes and they've got fireproof bags you can grab and take with you and stuff like that. All right, well, the gold's going to perish with the earth. The Lord doesn't care about it. But he said this is much more precious than gold because it's the trial of your faith. Now, when you think about what God did when he made the gold and put it in the world and he gave it its value, God did that. You know, we live in a time when, of course, there's a lot of talk about gold. I don't know if you've ever give it any thought when you're reading your Old Testament. Boy, when you get to reading in there about making the tabernacle, uh, they took that gold. They, back then, everybody acts like, oh man has progressed and this machine, they would take that gold and turn it into gold thread. They would beat it out and cut it into wire thread and use it and it was intricate in Moses' day. Moses' day, more than a thousand years before Christ. All those years they've used it in rings and in jewelry and in coins. It has been said, (coughs) and I don't know if it may be a little more now, but all the gold that's been mined would fit in a room that was eighteen cubic meters, four hundred eighty six cubic feet. Because it's so dense that all that gold been mined. You know, they picture something like they'll picture it in a movie or TV, somebody just grabbing a gold bar. They had a Years ago, at one of the expos down, down under, they had a display, and it was a gold bar. Of course, they had security guards all around it, and it was in a plexiglass-type thing, and you could barely get your hand through, so there was a hole big enough for the hand. You're never going to get that bar out with it, but that was there so you could grab it and try to pick it up, and you, you I watched. I was fascinated. I stayed there for many, many minutes watching people reach in there thinking they're going to grab it, snatch it up, and not even be able to hardly lift it. Many couldn't lift it. It's so dense. It pictures wealth that endures. It pictures it's precious because of its scarcity. Uh, It's searched for diligently by men. And it must be tried to prove its value by heat. It's tested by density. It has a universal worth that is generally accepted to be more than currency. And that's probably going to come into play much more soon. It's costly to mine and obtain. And tried gold is more valuable than rough gold. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold is just manyfold. In other words, many kinds of temptations. Now, there always is a danger in a time of temptation. Temptation is... Some have reduced this word, and, and it's funny. They think they've got to go, to say, to an original language and all that. Not if, not if you use your English dictionary, but mainly use your Bible. A temptation is anything that, com- that comes between you and your faith in God. You say, well, so, temptation really means, say, sensual or sexual lust. That's a small component. It's a very powerful component. And it's everywhere in the world, but it's a small component compared to all the other temptations. Achan saw and coveted and took, and what he saw and coveted and took was stuff. Okay? Think about it. It was stuff. So, it is a temptation. And the thing that is good for us to remember, the thing that's good for us to keep in mind, <coughs> come to Hebrews 3 for a minute. Hebrews chapter 3. This, this is... This is important. Hebrews chapter 3. So in verse 7, he says, The trial of your faith, being much more precious of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. So the temptation and the trial pictures of fire. The fire can burn off the dross or it can burn up your faith. It's the same fire, but it's up to us what the outcome is. Now we're kept by the power of God but we're the ones who need to exercise the faith. Faith is the one thing. Faith and love towards Christ and towards God are the only things we can give him. And do not let the ultra hyper Calvinist steal that from you. He did not make you or Adam and Eve and then after the fall make it where you could not choose to love God that he would have to make you love him. That would not be love. That would just be automation. And so Hebrews chapter 3, now watch. Let's pick it up in verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, this is being quoted from over in the Old Testament, okay, from Psalm around 95 and some other places. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, verse 8, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works 40 years. And there's parallel passages for it. What's the picture? Don't harden your heart when God tries you. Don't grit your teeth. Don't get a bad attitude. I recently did that thing on Romans 8.28. And we talked about some things that help Romans 8.28 to actually happen and that it's up to us to do our part for it. For example, Joseph's, the sin of others. Joseph's situation. His brother sinned. Paul wife sinned the butler sinned by forgetting him after he said he would remember him okay the sins of others there's the satanic attacks he attacks job and he attacks his faith by attacking his family and his things then he attacks his health in paul it was it 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 was the selfishness basically of others they wanted a commodious place to winter in they're worried about what it was going to be like to stay where they were during the winter. And it brought a shipwreck and destruction. And God, by His grace, delivered all the lives. I'm saying all that to say this. you got to get your eyes off off of the sins of others or the satanic attack or the selfishness of some decisions. And you got to put them on Christ. But why? Because when we come to Christ with our temptations and our heaviness, <clears throat> we were going to react differently, but the biggest thing we're doing is saying, Lord, I trust you. <clears throat> Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted to God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, etc., etc. That's James 1, verse 12, down to verse 14, and you can go further. Now, coming to the close of this particular class, this session, look look at this. So, this this faith that we exercise is likened to gold. By the way, this fire, it can be... Have you ever been really embarrassed, humiliated and your face flushes, you just feel what? Like your face is on fire? You're humiliated. You're embarrassed, okay? Or then someone might might fi- throw some fiery darts of words your way. Can be directly at you, can be through others. So mark it down. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Take the shield of faith, wherewith you may I be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So, It is important to stay in your Bible, to stay prayed up, to stay forgiven up, forgiving others. Get your forgiveness from God, but grant forgiveness to everyone. You must. You must keep that slate clean so that you yourself will not get bitter and thereby that root of bitterness spring up and defile those around you. Why? Because we're being tried on our faith. Who's our faith in? Jesus Christ. Look, before we close, verse 8, whom, having not seen, you love. So this faith in love is not simplifying it too much, but it's not this airy-fairy, you know, oo- ooey-gooey, cotton-candy love, fairy floss love. This love is the kind that says, I trust God, and though he slay me, yet will I trust him, Job said. Amen. Look, whom, having not seen, you love. In whom... Though now you see him not, yet believing, you ye rejo- ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Listen, when God gets you through a trial or temptation, He gets you through without bitterness. He gets you through without uh, having a, a maybe you could say the devil spoiling you. In other words, taking some of your faith and stealing it from you. When you get come through with that, that's a form of salvation too. That's not the salvation of your quote your soul. That's god saving you in your life delivering you we're going to come back to that time for the class is up but read these together and realize that this is what simon peter's trying to help them with do you think simon peter might have something whereof he could speak i'd say so he stumbled several times when he was tried he stumbled He stumbled in the garden when he just couldn't bear the thought of his Savior, his hero being bested. He just didn't quite have it yet. Listen, child of God, you would not, I could, there's no way I could have fared better than Simon Peter in that garden. Do you, do you, you realize he went ahead and followed along with that and risked being identified with the Lord Jesus? He said, well, he denied him. Oh, I know. You're so spiritual. You've never ducked a chance to own Jesus Christ, have you? You've never just been quiet. Oh, you've not said, I don't know him. You were just quiet when you could have said, I do know him. I'm not saying do this every time, but I like when someone says, what do you know? I say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Say it with the right spirit. Now, here's how some people say it. Well, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? I didn't say, say that. But man, I do know him. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Because that's what I know. What do you know? I know the Lord Jesus. I know he's coming back. And I know, having been through many trials and temptations and heading into Him, I'm sure, in Him actually, I know whom I have believed. Verse 8. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Father, pray you take these thoughts and use them now. In Jesus' name, amen.